Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, what's up? It's Nolan from Past Gas by Donut Media. We are an automotive history show. This week, we're talking the life story of Gilles Villeneuve, Canada's most important Formula One driver, This guy is a national hero up there and truly one of the greats taken from us too soon. He started out racing snowmobiles when he was a teenager. He invented one of the most important snowmobile innovations ever, which is crazy for a Formula One driver to do, and eventually became just one of the most legendary drivers of the 1970s. This guy raced for such a short time, but had such a large impact, and it was super cool to talk about a Quebecois racing legend. That's Past Gas by Dona Media, available anywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Number one automotive podcast, Past Gas. It's April 23rd, 1962. Sterling Moss is pushing his Lotus V8 to its absolute limit at the Glover Trophy Race on the UK's Goodwood Circuit. He feathers the gas and blasts through the chicane, carving hard around Madwick's corner. His tiny eight-cylinder F1 car has the same horsepower as a Scion FRS, but weighs a mere 800 pounds. He buries the accelerator and watches the speedometer climb as he shoots down the Fordwater Bend. The only thing on Sterling's mind is catching up to Graham Hill. The cars approach 130 miles per hour, and Moss grips the wheel, ready to overtake Hill's BRM by inducing oversteer, a method of pushing the car's cornering abilities to supernatural lengths that very few drivers are able to manage. Fordwater Bend is the fastest section of Goodwood, and the move has to be perfect. Unfortunately, Sterling's driving isn't. As his car exits Fordwater, there is the slightest dip, which creates a pocket of wind that eliminates any room for errors. The wheel jerks in Sterling's hands as one of his tires clips the grass approaching St. Mary's turn. The impossibly light car tumbles off the track. The fiberglass and aluminum body collapses in on itself and skids to a stop, entombing Sterling inside. His bones are crushed, skin torn. Annie Strudwick, a nurse stationed nearby, rushes into action. As she approaches, she notices Sterling is alive, but in bad shape. He's covered in blood and his face is bright purple. This now legendary racer had somehow survived this horrific crash, but he was choking to death on bubble gum. 
Thinking quickly, she reaches into his mouth and grabs the gooey wad, <gasps> Sterling gasps in relief. The rescue crew then spends the next half hour sawing apart the frame to extract Moss from the wreck. How did one man break three world speed records, win almost half of his 529 races, and dominate the Nürburgring 1000 three years in a row? How did this household name in racing give away his only shot at winning an F1 championship title? Who was this British driver, the king whom racing never crowned? Today on Past Gas, they say a rolling stone gathers no moss. But what about a speeding car? It's Sterling Moss. Let's fucking get into it. <laughs> Let's LFGII. Let's get into it. Let's get, Let's into, get it. into it. What's up, fellas? What's up? How we doing? Um, prepping for this, I watched this uh, documentary about Sterling Moss, hosted by Sir Patrick Stewart. Nice. Mm. You guys might know him as Jean Luc Picard. Yeah. Yes, I'm familiar from Star Trek. Yep. Yep. So Sterling Moss in his office in his house, like has the steering wheel from this crash like hanging on the wall and it's super bent up and uh Jean-Luc Picard is like don't you think this is like bad luck and like Sterling Moss is like no I just you know I basically put two two middle fingers up to it and like Patrick Stewart like comes <laughs> like, <laughs> like the whole time he's just like this is the coolest guy. I'm so stoked <laughs> to be here. I can't I believe I'm talking to this guy. I can't believe I'm in his house. Like the whole time, he's just like giggling. That's, That's awesome. I love Patrick yeah. Stewart. Sir Patrick, yeah. So Pat, well, hello everybody. Welcome back to Pass Gas. As you know, this week we were talking about Sterling Moss. This episode, a uh, lot of requests for this topic. This man, uh, we've mentioned Sterling Moss. I feel like he's popped up pretty much anytime we talk about vintage F1 stories uh his name pops up and it seems like an only natural that we now talk about him in his own episode so thank you to everybody who's requested him uh i'm excited to talk about him uh probably the most british name i've ever heard in my life <laughs> his name is an adjective and then a noun it is yeah that's some sterling moss on that tree over there hmm. isn't that their money too sterling pounds sterling silver correct yeah, correct. Yeah, that is correct. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure that those things have something to do with each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sterling is a sick name, dude. Dude, Sterling's a sick name. That'd be that'd be like if, like, I was rich in America and my name was Buck, but like way like way classier. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I knew a guy in high school named Sterling, and he was a fullback on our football team. Uh-huh. And he was one of the one of the most brutal, ruthless fullbacks I've ever seen. He would really? he would yeah. pick up kids and break them over his knee. I want to while if carrying I, I feel a like, football. I feel like if I had a kid and I named him Sterling, he'd be like really like skinny <laughs> and like little and pretty, like yeah. a gossip girl boy. Yeah, <laughs> a gossip boy, <laughs> like yeah, Rosie, a gossip boy, and he'd just be like. A mean, mean person. Oh, like, it's always a gamble, man. Like you want to give your kid a cool name, but uh-huh. there's always a chance that he he's just the opposite. Yeah, because I feel like names manifest who you become. 
Yeah, like when I picture a Sterling, I think of like Ryan Philippi. Yes. Yeah. From Cruel Intentions. Now, like a Timothy Chalamet, maybe? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep. I want my son to look like Timothy Chalamet, and I'm going to name him Sterling. <laughs> we all want our sons to look like Timothy Chalamet. I mean, who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> my name is Nolan Sykes. Uh, joined, as always, by my co-hosts, uh, we got Joe Weber. Slime off a of slug's back. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Good, you right? weren't kidding. That one's good. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> and James Pumphrey. <laughs> uh, if you ain't trying to win, you're losing it. And you can take that one to the bank. <laughs> wow, That's man. about I'm... three different sayings in one. <laughs> <laughs> I want to use this opportunity to promote uh, my new podcast, The Long Way, uh, co-hosted by Jeremiah Burton from Donut Media, and that that's our official sign-off. That's cool. I like that. Cool, yeah. man. Yeah, keep an eye out for that. Without further ado, let's learn more about this Sterling Moss. Sterling Moss was born to wealth, yeah, no shit, in 1929, <laughs> <laughs> and raised in a London mansion along the Thames River, the same estate where the famous English composer Edward Elgar created some of his greatest works. Ah, yes, I'm familiar. Yes, Mm -hmm. you know. Sterling's father, Alfred Moss, was himself a very successful man in the somewhat less glamorous career of dentistry. But throughout his life, Alfred also nurtured a sweet tooth for his side passion, racing. When Sterling's father wasn't knuckle-deep in Londoners' disgusting mouths, (laughs) he was competing in the cycle car racing circuit. (laughs) like gross dude uh, yeah what was this like who wrote this sam raimi how how gross would that guy's job be like they don't they didn't have gloves back then oh oh didn't even think of that (laughs) they probably didn't wash their hands that much either that's (laughs) so nasty just like gross (laughs) mouths like extracting teeth and putting like tusk in (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) They probably did. Uh, Alfred would blast up and down hills all over the English countryside in a 500-pound derby racer equipped with bicycle wheels and a 1,000cc motor. (laughs) Yeah, no thank you. (laughs) Alfred turned out to be a decent driver. Later, he graduated to racing real cars and used his mouth money to buy his way into the Indianapolis 500, where he drove to 16th place in a field of 22 cars. Not bad for a dentist. From London. (laughs) After a half dozen years of competitive racing, Alfred met his wife, Eileen Crawford, who had made a name for herself racing on the rally circuit after driving ambulances around the combat zones of World War I Europe. Together, they had two children, Sterling and Pat Moss. You got a noun and a verb. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Man, it would suck to have a sibling named Sterling and your name is Pat. For sure. At Pat's like one of the worst ways to say touch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> As children, the Moss kids quickly took to competition and began dominating the local equestrian scene. They're big horse boys. <laughs> Alfred got Sterling racing at the age of nine. Motor racing, that is. He bought him an Austin 7 and let him zip around their property. The 10-horsepower buggy was just enough of a thrill for the kid that he wanted to take it to the road. 
I want to take it to the road, Papa. <laughs> I want to take it to the road. No, no. <laughs> Can I have an Austin 7, Daddy? You shut up, Pat. <laughs> you shut up. <laughs> Get in your cage, Pat. <laughs> After dangling racing in young Sterling's face his entire childhood, his father suddenly decided he should pursue a career in dentistry. Sterling defied his dad and instead began his racing career behind the wheel of his father's 1937 BMW 328. The tiny Beamer was powered by a 1971cc overhead valve straight six that put 80 horses to the skinny tires out back, and Sterling used every ounce of that power. That sounds fun. I want to drive one of these like really vintage roadsters with like crazy skinny tires. Sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. I bet it'd be pretty slippy. Oh, yeah. Like a gingerman or something? No, I'd like a grange. Yes. Alfred saw the joy it brought his son and let him continue racing. After World War II in 1948, Sterling had the chance to... Uh, <laughs> funny how we don't mention his military service. <laughs> a lot of rich kids. No, he was, uh, he was 13 at this point. Grass on the field, play ball. <laughs> what a terrible no. phrase. Oh my God. <laughs> Wait, what? Oh <laughs> so, <laughs> like, who said that to me? <laughs> like, what? Like, for us. Sorry, uh, correction. He was 19 in 1948. So I think he just yeah. missed. I'll let it slide. After World War II in 1948, Sterling had the chance to put down his dad's hard-earned money on a deposit for the first production Cooper 500 race car. These tiny Formula 3 Speedway racers were powered by 80-horsepower, 500cc motorcycle motors. Their ultralight bodies were crafted from hoops and pressed metal. Some of the earliest Coopers were cobbled together from crashed Fiats, but not Sterling's. His down payment ensured he secured one of the non-upcycled models. On the F3 circuit, the teenage Sterling was a force of nature. He stacked checkered flags, first locally, then international, quickly proving to team managers that it didn't matter if they ran a Nash, Porsche, Maserati, Cooper, Aston Martin, Ferrari, Jaguar, or even a Lister. What really mattered was that Sterling was driving. It still stands as one of the strongest F3 debuts in the early history of the sport. The day before his 21st birthday, Sterling scored his first milestone win. He secured a shocking victory at the 1950 RAC Tourist Trophy in the middle of a downpour in Northern Ireland behind the wheel of a borrowed Jaguar XJ120. Oh yeah, baby. Oh yeah. During this period of formula racing, a new kind of car would enter a race and win. Then companies would race to catch up to the tech in the winner's car. But Sterling's borrowed XJ was entirely stock, and he won with a two-mile lead over Peter Whitehead, who was named after a pimple, (laughs) and was also driving a stock XJ. Sterling was also a decade younger than the next youngest racer on the grid. It was a big victory for such a young racer, and he went on to become a repeat champion at the event six times in total. That's like so, like, uh, like that just proves how different racing was back then. Mm -hmm. If, like, the next youngest guy was 31. (laughs) Like, it was such, like, just sports in general were such, like, a hobby. Yeah. I was about to say, it's very much like a, not pro-am kind of mindset, but it's still, like, a hobby that people are taking seriously, you know? like Right. Like, pickleball is now. Like, pickleball, yeah. Like, pickleball is now. And then, like, 50 years, 
like there'll be like pickleball camps. Yeah. <laughs> like I gotta send my kid to pickleball camp this summer. <laughs> um, but can you imagine a dentist entering the Indy five hundred now? It's kind of an analog to the situation where the Chicago Blackhawks were in the playoffs and they had to reach down to like their third string goalie because the other two were injured and he was like an accountant and came and helped them out in the playoffs a couple years ago. Wow. But Sterling's 1955 Tourist Trophy outing was arguably the most notable. He'd recently joined the team of legendary racer Juan Manuel Fangio and was replaced on Team Jaguar by recent Le Mans winner Mike Hawthorne. Sterling took pole position and vanished down the road in the lead while the rest of the pack struggled to catch up. As the racers pushed to catch Sterling, Tim Mayers and William Smith, uh, getting jiggy with it, crashed at the difficult deer's leap straightaway. The fastest stretch on the Dundrod circuit. A few laps later, a third racer, Richard Manwaring, was tragically killed in a fiery crash. But far ahead of the wreck, Sterling was battling Hawthorne, his replacement at Jaguar, for the lead when he blew a tire and needed to stop for a repair. Then over seven long laps in the pouring rain, Moss managed to battle back behind Hawthorne. The 265-horsepower straight-eight Mercedes motor struggled to catch the Jag's lighter 3.4-liter straight-six, but as the finish was approaching, Hawthorne's motor seized and Sterling coasted to another win. The tragic, bloody race would be the last tourist trophy ever run in Northern Ireland. That's just another example of how unique this era was, because, yeah, it is a hobby kind of thing where these men of privilege are, are you know, having fun behind these crazy machines, but then you could also die in a horrific wreck, yeah. you know, so the stakes, the stakes are less monetary and more literal life and death, you know? There's a whole storyline on it, about it, on Downton Abbey. Oh. oh. Lady Mary falls in love with a racing car driver. And he dies. Well, I don't know. If, Mary's don't always pulling stuff like that. Yeah. Classic Lady Mary. We'll get back to more past guests, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Fast forward to 1955 and Moss is now 26 years old. It was obvious at this point that he was different from the other racers, a renaissance man behind the wheel. Sterling would float between teams and dominate different types of races. While modern legendary racers would find one discipline and stick to it, Sterling would race multiple types of cars, sometimes in a single day. 
Instead of taking the winter off, as other racers would do, Sterling headed to Africa and Asia to race those circuits. Today's F1 drivers average 20 races a year, widely considered to be a grueling schedule. Sterling was averaging closer to 50. Dang. And while modern drivers fly to each race and hop in a car at practice, Sterling would pack a car up and hop behind the wheel of the truck and drive the team through the night to the next track. This guy doesn't stop. Yeah, it's like take a night off, man. Yeah, it's like chill out for a second, man. Get some McDonald's, okay? Let Pat drive. <laughs> <laughs> In 1955, yeah, wait, yeah, let Pat drive. <laughs> I bet Pat was driving. I bet Pat doesn't get a lot of the credit that he deserves. <laughs> We'd like to de- dedicate this episode to Pat. Yeah, to, this episode Pat is dedicated Moss. to Pat Moss. Which is one of the best activities you can do when you're in the forest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not just the worst way to be touched. <laughs> Jeez. In 1955, Moss won the Royal Auto Club's British Grand Prix at Aintree, a racetrack that had never been won by a British driver before. Mercedes cars placed in the top four places with Moss in first. That year, he also won the RAC Tourist Trophy again in a Mercedes 300 SLR, the Circuito de Monsanto in a Porsche 500 Spider, and the Targa Floria in the SLR, as well as the International Gold Cup in a Maserati 250F. This guy does not have brand loyalty, which I like. It's cool, but also Monsanto? Follow the money, dude. Follow the money. The Millimiglia is typically referred to as the most dangerous and most iconic single day's drive in all of racing history. If you're an OG past gas fan, you know a lot about this already because we covered it in the first two episodes of this show when we talked about Enzo Ferrari. Mercedes had a bone to pick with the Millimiglia. They hadn't won the race since 1931 and Italians dominated the podium. 1955 would be different. The Italians had an advantage in the 1,000-mile race because it cut through long swaths of Italian countryside, home turf for the local entrance. But Sterling had a plan. He brought along Dennis Jenkinson, a motorsports journalist, and they took some test runs of the track. Jenkinson made notes on an 18-foot-long scroll of paper so he could warn Sterling of upcoming turns, much like modern rally drivers. After 10 hours, 7 minutes, and 48 seconds, Moss and Jenkinson finally stopped the famous number 722 Mercedes 300 SLR in Brescia, Italy. They averaged 97.96 miles per hour over the entire 992 miles, which was the fastest ever set and would stand as a record until the race ended two years later. The second place driver, Sterling's longtime rival, teammate, and mentor, Juan Manuel Fangio, arrived a full 30 minutes later. The success of a British driver in a German car rocked the Millimiglia and made headlines around the world. That's pretty crazy to average 97 miles per hour on just like country roads. Yeah, like for a country roads miles. in the 50s in Italy in an old-ass car. Yeah, bicycle tires and and to break you put your feet on the ground <laughs> the flintstones yeah that'd be wild man. Can you imagine how sore his forearms were oh god no power steering rocking just rocking sterling won 212 out of 529 races in his career more so than his wins however he was a driver who was consistently helping to push forward motorsports in every category from strategy to technology to business he was the first driver to run disc brakes He drove the first rear-engined F1 car. 
and he opened up the world of non-racing sponsors to all drivers when he slapped the colors of El Dorado Ice Cream Company on his race car. <laughs> but for all his skill, ingenuity, and checkered flags, Sterling had yet to win a Formula One world championship. He'd come close over and over again, but no cigar. In 1958, those close calls bubbled to a climactic season in the Brit's career. Uh, he had an automatic bedroom. What does that mean? His bedroom had buttons like Austin Powers bedroom. <laughs> and he would press a button and it would like open his blinds and like start his shower. And he had, he had Austin Powers bedroom. It was like the rotating bed. I, I assume so. That's pretty sick. Mm-hmm. On the extremely difficult cobble filled street track of Oporto in Portugal, Sterling and his old rival, Mike Hawthorne were neck and neck battling over the crown of the first Brit to win the overall F1 title. Sterling was out front, but Hawthorne was literally feet behind him. Sterling lapped Hawthorne and was ready to take the prize when he noticed his competitor had spun out and stalled. Officials rushed Hawthorne's car, but Sterling rushed over and shooed them all away so Hawthorne would not be disqualified for receiving outside assistance. Sterling yelled for him to push the car down the hill and bump start the motor, which he did, and the race continued. What? That's awesome. No. What an idiot. <laughs> you don't think that's awesome? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. I mean, come on. <laughs> he wants to keep racing. Uh, yeah, that's pretty fun. Uh, back at the official's tent, they argued if Hawthorne had technically traveled in reverse on the track, which would have disqualified him. Sterling rushed to his defense and explained that Hawthorne was technically... On the sidewalk, not the circuit, so he couldn't have been driving in the wrong direction. The officials <laughs> shrugged and uh, awarded Hawthorne full point. Checkmate. Checkmate. Uh, Toto Sterling. wouldn't let this slide. No. Michael, this is an abomination. <laughs> At the end of the season, as the points were tallied, Hawthorne won the championship title by a single point, oh. which could not have happened without Sterling's help. While Sterling lost his only shot at the crown, he later told journalists he'd do it again in a second. It was simply the right thing to do. I don't know if that, yeah, would not fly today with uh, all the sponsors on the car, man. I don't think. uh, No, no way. I don't think. El Dorado Gelati. El Dorado Gelati. They might have let that slide, but. uh, Dude, El Dorado Gelati sounds like a. uh, Action Bronson. Uh, <laughs> like you put your alias. name into that. Wu-Tang I'm telling God he's sipping El Dorado Gelati. <laughs> Action Bronson. Bam Bam Baklava. El Dorado Gelati. <laughs> Action, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> he's yoked now. Really? Yeah, it's pretty yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. By 1962, Sterling had won pretty much every type of race in every type of car there was. He was just 33 and at the top of his game, dominating the sport, beloved by racing fans all over the globe. On April 23rd at Goodwood, Sterling wrecked, chasing Graham Hill. He had fractured his leg, was covered in lacerations, and had a serious head wound. He was comatose for almost a month and partially paralyzed for more than six months. It was a long road to recovery that was met by setback, after setback. A year after the accident, Sterling slid behind the wheel of a familiar Lotus 19 and returned to Goodwood. He pushed the car as hard as he could, sailing along straights and throwing it hard into corners, relying on the same oversteer 
that almost cost him his life. But when he stopped his car and saw his time, he was a few tenths of a second slower than before. Sterling dropped his helmet into the Lotus and walked away from racing entirely. Later, he would say that his instinctual control over the vehicle was gone. What was once an extension of his body now took conscious effort, and even though he was less than a second slower, he knew his mojo was gone. It made for an anticlimactic end to a storied racing career, but Sterling did what so many other drivers couldn't. Know when it was time to quit. That's pretty like honorable, but also kind of an overreaction, I feel like. It's only a couple times. Also, tenths. if it's his first time back in the car, like. Yeah, dude, give it a month. Yeah, <laughs> Sterling Moss. Yes, yeah, Sterling Moss. And also his mojo. Yeah, I know. Honestly, <laughs> is Austin Powers. This guy is Austin yeah. Powers. <laughs> After his body healed, Sterling found himself bored, as many race car drivers do in retirement. He needed a way to pass the time, so Moss found his way over to ABC's Wide World of Sports to be their color commentary for NASCAR. Whoa! Weird. While his thick British accent was certainly appreciated during 1980s NASCAR races, he eventually moved on and spent more of his time narrating Formula One seasons. But talking about racing wasn't enough. While he had unofficially retired in 1962, Sterling popped up here and there at a few one-off races. Most notable was the grueling 18,000-mile 1974 London Sahara Munich World Cup rally where (laughs) Sterling showed up in a Mercedes 280E. Who thought of that race where it's like (laughs) London to Sahara to Munich? Someone from Munich needed someone in London to pick up something in the Sahara and bring it to Some like Moroccan food. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, this ridiculous rally began in London and wound its way to Munich via Nigeria. <laughs> in total, 70 cars entered the race and only 19 managed to complete it. Notable among the ones who were left stranded was Sterling Moss. I would love to do a rally like this. Mm-hmm. Some ridiculously long drive. Yeah. Yeah. Be cool. Uh, While racing near Bakar, Algeria, Sterling and his team found that there were a few errors in the map due to a few roads being demolished and rebuilt between map making and racing. Most of the competitors were lost in the Sahara with little hope. Experienced drivers referred to it as the most grueling terrain of any rally ever. Race officials hired helicopters and small airplanes to locate all the racers once they realized they had been spread out all over the African oh, desert. God. Many were lost for days, <laughs> driving circles around the sandy roads while bartering with locals for food oh, and water. God. A handful of racers abandoned the route and set out for civilization where they traded their cars for airfare back to Europe. <laughs> do you still want to do this, Nolan? I'm thinking about it. Sounds like the last season of High Low. <laughs> hey. You just got to trade your, <laughs> your low car for like a Spirit Air ticket. Dude, that thing's it, it worth at least United business class. <laughs> I mean, low car is now like 50 grand. Yeah, it's an expensive car now. Uh, high car is $100,000. Oh, my God. <laughs> In parts. <laughs> it's so wild. We'll be right back with more of this story, but first, a word from our sponsors. 
Sterling and his team stayed true to course, but they continued to overheat in the 280E and eventually found their way to an abandoned Algerian military fort. With an empty radiator and less than a gallon of water between them, they were forced to sit and wait for several days for officials to deliver water to them so they could continue the race. But by the time they were rehydrated, the race had continued without them. In 1980, again, Sterling returned to competition. He showed up at the British Saloon Car Championship with the GTI Engineering Audi team, but he didn't do too well. He continued to race historic cars and would show up to any special races he was invited to participate in, as long as it didn't interfere with his Playboy retiree lifestyle. Ooh, got the automatic shower button. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> in 2004, <laughs> Sterling arrived at a promotion for the new Mercedes-Benz SLR to find his old friend, the exact number 722-300 SLR he won the Millimegli in. With zero hesitation, Sterling jumped behind the wheel and took to the track. A reporter who had joined him said that the 75-year-old was better than everyone else there. I doubt it. That is a very reporter thing to say about a famous old man. They're like waiting for a statement from the reporter and Sterling Moss is like waiting behind him to see what he says. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's better than everyone here. (laughs) (laughs) He did so good. He did so good. He's better than everyone here. I'm so proud of him. And on June 9th, 2011, while attempting to qualify for the Le Mans Legends race at the age of 81, Sterling handed off his helmet and gloves and told Radio Le Mans that he was actually done racing. Done, done. done. For real this time. He explained that the Porsche RS61 was just too fast for him, and it deserved a better driver. He told the press that he was a racer, not a driver, meaning that even as an octogenarian, yeah, in his 80s. Great. He, he, he also told the press that he was a racer, not a driver, meaning that even as an octogenarian, he wanted to win, not just keep pace. That's pretty dignified. And then when he was 99, he returned to racing. <laughs> <laughs> At the peak of his career, Sterling would reach 180 mile per hour top speeds, just 15 shy of top racers today with nothing more than determination and a helmet. Eh, more like 40 miles. They hit 220 yeah. at Baku. Compared to modern F1 cars and other race cars, the machines Sterling piloted were primitive and unreliable, but he was able to get the most out of every car he drove. Car's brakes were also awful. He was the first driver to run disc brakes at the Millimiglia, and they'd run so hot they'd boil over the brake fluid. Tires in the 1950s were atrocious as well. Sterling would constantly fight both over and understeer to keep the car on track, while today's tires are grippy and hold the line. He managed to survive the most dangerous era of racing, but just barely. At 80, Sterling fell three stories down an elevator shaft, shattering his legs and chipping his spine, but he survived. What was he doing in there? I have no idea. (laughs) Yeah, man. He was being sneaky. (laughs) (laughs) serves him right (laughs) six years later he suffered a near fatal chest infection keyword being near the guy was almost indestructible but on april 12th 2020 moss finally passed away at his longtime home in mayfair london 
after a long illness. I didn't realize it was that recent. I know. Crazy, right? Yeah. In his 90 years of life, he had lived several lifetimes across just as many racing disciplines. Widely described as one of the greatest drivers to never win an F1 championship, we'd rather simplify things. Sterling was one of the greatest drivers, full stop. Full stop, but he never did. Full stop. Full stop, but he never did. I wonder if Pat's still alive. Uh, Probably. That's his younger brother, so maybe. Uh, well, that's our story this week. We have some listener email to get through. We have a listener email to read. Dan writes, hi, Nolan, James, and Joe. I'm a longtime listener, first-time emailer. I'm from the land of England and just wanted to say I love your show's perfect balance of humor and history. Humor well, thank with you, an O-U. Dan. Very O-U. British. Dan, are you British? Whoa. That's how Sterling Moss would have written it. Yeah. That's how we know. That's how we know. Just one fun fact for you guys. Okay. Adrian Newey and Jeremy Clarkson were both at the same school – Repton School at the same time, both kicked out and are now members of its notable alumni list. Uh, that is a fun fact. Just like Cameron Diaz and Snoop Dogg both went to Long Beach Polytechnic. Wait, but if they got kicked time. out, they didn't graduate. How are they alumni? Because they're rich. If you get successful enough, they're going to claim you, you know? Yeah, that's lame. Dan also writes, I have an episode idea, the crazy story of the 1958 Cuban Grand Prix in which five-time world champion Juan Manuel Fangio was kidnapped before the race by Fidel Castro and his rebels to boycott the race. That would be a fun episode. That would be fun. That would be fun. That would be fun. Remember to keep it juiced. Yeah, yo. We should write that movie starring Danny McBride. (laughs) (laughs) As as, As uh, Castro. As Juan Manuel Fangio. as Castro. Castro. Yeah. As Castro. And, and. The guy who plays Stevie in Eastbound and Down can play Raul, his brother. Yeah, yeah. And then Fangio's like Timothy Chamolet. <laughs> Chamolet. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to get in contact with us, hit us up at passgas at donutmedia.com. Oh, guys, before we get the correction next week, Patricia Ann Moss was his sister. Oh, no. What? Oh, no. And she was one of the most successful female auto rally drivers of all time, achieving three outright wins and seven podium finishes in international rallies. She's crowned European Ladies Rally Champion five times. That's awesome. Well, we were talking about her like she was a a (laughs) slow boy, but apparently she was a very fast girl. (laughs) Let us know if you want us to do an episode on Pat Moss, because she seems awesome. In my my head, I thought he was just like this dumpy (laughs) guy covered in hay. (laughs) I thought that we said Pat was a uh, boy Yeah, wait a minute. I thought so, too. (laughs) <laughs> well we apologize to Pat. Yeah, well thank you for correcting us tommy our producer uh that's pretty embarrassing oh that is weird okay so eileen crawford who we talked about she was also a rally racer well mm-hmm. yeah we mentioned that who drove the ambulances okay well that's on us sorry about that hit up the boys at James Pumphrey, at Joe G. Weber. Follow me, at Nolan J. Sykes. Uh, follow Donut on all social media if you'd like. Two big thank you to our producers, uh, Thomas Willette and Gavin Kinzel. And our writer, Jacob Desjardins. Yes, so thank you very much, boys. 
You know what? We make we make mistakes, but at the end of the day, slime off a slug's back. That's right. All right. See you later. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.